0: Of the Tennis IQ podcast. I'm Brian Lomax.
1: And I'm Josh Berger. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about everybody's favorite concept, losing, and different approaches and mindsets that um, you can apply to losing. Because as we know, as tennis players and as athletes, losing is inevitable, um, both at the um, at the micro level, in terms of losing points during a tennis match, we've talked about um, sort of this devilish scoring system, how after every single point, there is that instant feedback that you receive as a tennis player. You either lost or you won. And how you view that result um, whether you know whether you lost or won that previous point um, can have a big impact on both the the results of the remainder of the match and um, you know ultimately your success as a tennis player. So both at the micro level and then at the more macro level in terms of losing matches, um, how uh, how you might respond and respond to losing certain types of matches. We might talk about um, certain situations that may be more challenging, um, whether it's, you know, losing to certain types of players or losing um, at certain moments during a match or losing perhaps for certain reasons. Um, So uh, number one, thinking about some approaches after you have lost and then also sort of your general philosophy and approach to competition and how losing fits in into that, that broader approach. Um so Brian I guess where as, as you start to to think about this topic um what, what 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 do you usually talk with athletes about um I I guess as as you start to break down competition and this this inevitability of losing yeah
0: I think you you hit it on the head there Josh when you said the philosophical understanding of what competition is about um because there, there are levels to that too, right? There's competition of this match I'm playing today, but then there's also competition in the sense of uh, over the course of my career and understanding, you know, the role of competition in terms of helping me to become the best player I could become. If competition is all about winning, um, and this is actually part of the, uh, one of the more famous books in, in, in Positive psychology or humanistic psychology, flow by Mihai Chikmihai. He talks about um, you know the, the optimal benefit of competition is helping you to perfect and improve your skills. And he notes that when it becomes all about winning, at some point the enjoyment of the activity will be lost. And I think that's a key concept um, because lots of players will tell you the you know, it's all about winning. Keep, you know, that, that, that's, that's uh, the point of it. And I think that is perhaps a, a point of it, but probably not the primary point. And really, you know, we should always be playing to win when we're competing. I think that's really important. But the winning in itself is, is uh, difficult to control. Um, and so if we could be more focused sort of in the long term, becoming the best player we can become um, and letting competition inform us as to where we are in that journey. So each match that you have, it's a good way to measure where your skills are today. Um, Jorge Capistani talked about this with us in our interview with him some time ago about how he views competition as like a test or a quiz. And it's just really letting you know where you are today and which skills need to be sharpened and which skills are working um, and that we keep going with that. So I think understanding that, and then as you said, losses are part of it. Um, and it's not that we, when we talk about losing, it's not like we're accepting it as like we're okay with it. I think people, when you lose a match, I think there should be some level of disappointment. But that's probably on a continuum, right? We don't want it to be a level of disappointment where you are you can't function for a week because you're still thinking about this Particular match that you played. Um, but there should be some disappointment because, hey, we are playing to win. And I think that, you know, a healthy level of disappointment can then create a motivation if we're, again, we're looking at competition in the long term to, okay, let me now objectively see what I could do better, right? Maybe disappointed for an hour or so, but at some, a certain point, you got to cut it off and then be able to look at that match. And I think that can be a trap for some. Uh, I honestly have felt that at times in my life where there have been some matches where I've lost 7-6 in the third and I really had a hard time getting it out of my head. Um, But eventually you can move on. So I think, yeah, starting with that philosophical piece, Josh, I think is, is, is important, understanding what the role of competition is in our lives. You know, we're not playing the Olympics every single time We step out there, Uh, but again, we're always playing to win. Um, So, what what are your thoughts on that in terms of the really the point and the benefit of competition?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, To me, um, I I think you touched on a lot of good things. I mean, competition is certainly a test. It's certainly um, it's certainly a look at where you're at right now um, in relation to where you've been, and then also in relation to your peers. Um, but it's also a way to, to help you improve as a tennis player, um, where if you're constantly training and not competing, and this is something that I see, um, you know, with, with some players that I, you know, that I coach, um, where maybe, you know, whether adults or kids where maybe they, they compete occasionally, but most of the time they're practicing or they're training, um, it's tough to really continue to, to push, you know, to, to push your own limits and to really see where you're at. Um, as we know, competition, there's, you know, a higher level of pressure um, compared to um, when there's, you know, no stakes and you're just, you're just hitting or you're just maybe playing against a friend um, on the practice court. So, you know, when, you, when you're playing with more pressure and there's more at stake and it feels more important, it's going to be more challenging and um, it's, it's really a, a better way to, to really gauge your, your current level. Um, and to you know to continue to improve as a tennis player so that, that that would be my my first point um and then also just understanding as a tennis player that you're going to every step of the way you're the, the, there will be losses there will be setbacks and i mean you look at the us open um or or any any tournament for that matter and you know the main draw 128 players enter 127 of those players are going to go home you know having lost their their most recent match so it just shows how critical that skill of coming back from a loss is where if you lose that match whether it's the first round or it's in the final and as you said brian if you you know have a can't function for that that next week after that match um, regardless, you know, of the score, it's going to be, it's going to be much tougher to bounce back from that, um, for that next tournament or for that next event or for continuing to train after, um, after the tournament, uh, leading up to whatever comes next. So, um, to me, it's, you know, yes, we want to be competitive. Yes. We want to, um, be great competitors and do everything at the moment and leading up to it. Of course, to give ourselves the best chance to win, but also understanding this that it is inevitable that at times we will lose. And okay, when that does happen, are, are we able to view it in the right in the right way? That hey, this is a part of competition. This is something that will happen. This is also um, hopefully there's some some lessons here to be learned from this experience today um, that that you you went through. And, okay, what what comes next? You know, thinking – I think, Brian, we were talking off-air a little bit, you know, how we want to get in that mindset of being more solution-focused and thinking more about, you know, the the solution and what can we improve on rather than being stuck on that problem or, in my view, you know, being stuck on that match and uh, I can't believe that just happened. You know, I can't believe – that third set tiebreaker went down like that, or I can't believe that, you know, I got nervous in that moment or um, lost my focus or whatever, whatever it may be. Um, so no, I, th- I think, um, you know, broadly understanding the, the role of losing in competition, that it is a common experience that the tennis players will have and that the bouncing back aspect of it is, is a critical piece. And then also um, trying to, get in that mindset, you know, sooner rather than later of, okay, you know, what now, what comes next, even with, you referenced uh, Jorge Capistani, going back actually to that, that win acronym of, okay, you know, what's important now, okay, you know, it's a few hours after the match, you know, you've regrouped, you've, you've thought about that match, you've, you know, maybe you know, thought about what went well, what, you know, what, what were some teachable moments, um, things you, you learned and then, okay, now what's important now? And, you know, how can we move on to, um, to whatever comes next? To me also, sometimes that involves um, looking back at um, that development plan. And we've, we've talked about that. I think it was the episode where we talked about um, preparing for 2021, sort of preparing for the new year and talking about some, you know, broader, more broader development plans that tennis players might um, be using, like a three-month plan, for instance. And you know, maybe sometimes after a loss, it, it can be helpful to to look back at that development plan and think, okay, are there, are there any adjustments that we want to make here? Or maybe there are, maybe there aren't. Maybe it's just you know a um, you know a, a, a situation that that happened. And again, it's it's going to happen sometimes, and we, we just want to move on rather than making any changes. But that that can be a, a time where you know thinking about adjustments that could be made um, and then, you know, just getting back on, getting back on that horse, so to speak, and, you know, continuing the training process and continuing working on whatever aspects of your game, you know, mentally, physically, tactically that you're working on. I think one thing you
0: kind of alluded to at the beginning of what you're, you were saying there was around how we may handle individual losses, right? One of the reasons we're talking about this more philosophical perspective is that when Sometimes when players lose, they identify with the loss a little too much. They let it affect their own self-confidence or belief. Um, maybe their identity as a, as a player is somehow uh, harmed in, in some way. Maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was or those types of things. Um, I think a helpful way to look at tennis for everybody is to consider it uh, like a life project. This is something that you're doing. It's just like a project in your life. It's not who you are necessarily. Um, Like we don't want to over-identify with our tennis that like if I lose a tennis match that it says something about me. It's simply a performance. Um, It's simply the experience maybe of loss, the experience of failure. It doesn't mean you are a failure or you are a loser. And I think that's an important distinction and so if we can depersonalize it a little bit and look at your tennis game as a, as a life project or a project, then can, perhaps you can take a more objective viewpoint of it, like you said with the development plan. Um, all right. This is like my project plan. This is what we're working on in these moments in time, right? So for those of us who uh, have held like corporate jobs like I have, you know, you get Microsoft Project or some other thing with Gantt charts and whatever. I mean, you could take it to that level, but that's what you want to do when you're working on certain aspects of your game. Uh, but when you go out and you compete, it's like taking your project and you're putting it out uh, in the wild and it's getting tested. And then at the end of it, you look at the results. And the more objective you can be with you know, how your strategies worked, how your strokes held up, how your mental game held up, really provides a lot more information so that the next time you go out there, all right, I have some things to work on, I have some things to, to improve. Um, and I think that's the one of the bigger challenges is can you depersonalize the experience? So the idea of it is an experience, it is not necessarily you, right? You're simply experiencing loss and failure. You are not a loser. You are not a failure. Um, and so that, I think, takes some some perspective shifting as well. Um, so when we are able to do that more, I think it's, as you said, Josh, it's easier to go on and and figure out what's next. Um, now this can also happen, I think within a match, um, we start to lose points and whatever, we get very judgmental or, you know, it can happen. Players will start to believe in themselves less. They'll doubt themselves. And I think, um, that's another trap is again, where we're personalizing the experience. Um, we don't want to lose points. We don't want to like normalize it to that point, but it's very normal that that happens. And as we've talked about here, you know, the most important point to match always the next one. So we have to be able to quickly get through that. Maybe there are lessons to learn from that last point. There may not be. Sometimes it's just lucky shots or, or, or whatever. You just kind of get back to what your game plan is. Um, but when we start to personalize losing of points or mistakes in, in a tennis match, you begin to harm, I think, some of the critical skills toward mental toughness that are necessary in order to navigate the difficulty of a match. Right? We have to win two sets. You have to get from zero to six in one set. Then you have to do it again. In two sets. Um, that's a long process. And uh, if you're constantly judging and feeling bad along the way, you're going to harm your confidence. You're going to harm your belief. Um, And so I I feel like there's a certain number of, I don't call them like mental toughness processes that need to be at a high level throughout a match. You know, optimism, always believing that you can play better that your best tennis is still in front of you. I I think self-belief, or or we could even call it self-efficacy, the belief that I can win, no matter what the score is, the belief I can win, I think that's huge. Because if you you don't have that belief, you most assuredly will lose based on a bit, right? Um, I think the ability to, to do many of these things regardless of the score is really, really important. Um, so I think those are two big ones. They're, and I think they're related. Optimism and, and self-belief are related. I think uh, you know, your effort level can't be affected by the score. And that happens a lot. Um, your focus can't be affected. Right? You need to have that full focus. We, we often talk about the idea of playing one point at a time, and that's why we have a routine. But I think in order to really do well with the routine, you've got to know the why. Why? why is it important to be present-focused? If you don't understand that the next point is the most important point in the match, you're not going to be able to effectively use your routine because you don't have that philosophical perspective or background to understand, hey, that's why this is so important, instead of just going through the motions of the routine and not really ending up where you need to be. Um, So I think it's important for all of us to examine that our fighting spirit, our effort, our optimism, our self-belief, that those things... Do not that they are we're performing those at a high level regardless of the score and that we're simply um, pushing on throughout the match because it's a long you know it's a long process like we said there's gonna be lost points there's probably gonna be streaks of who knows four or five six points in a row you may lose and um, but that doesn't mean you'll lose the match right so like you said earlier Josh there's a lot of losing that goes on in points, and it's how we withstand that within a match, and then it's how we uh, react to or respond to it or regroup when it's after a match.
1: Yeah. What, 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 you're, what you're talking about, how there's, you know, number one, uh, it's inevitable to, to lose matches. Um, it is, as we've talked about in the past, it's inevitable to lose points during a match. And, um, you know, sometimes those are consecutive, like you're saying. Um, I look at somebody like Novak Djokovic and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about him more when we, you know, talk more about the the US Open uh, and, you know, recap it, but um, just seeing how he has this ability to, to put things behind him. Um, He, he'll lose the first set and you see him during that, um, that set break between sets one and two or whatever it may be. And he's, you know, has his eyes closed or he's, you know, calming his breath down. And he's, you know, he talks about this as well. And, you know, whatever just happened, he's able to put that behind him. He's able to put that, that loss set behind him and and move on quickly, you know, rather quickly. And it actually reminds me of a, um, this, this concept of losing points reminds me of a presentation, um, that I think I've referenced here by, by Craig O'Shaughnessy, um, you know, who, who has worked with Djokovic as well as other ATP WTA players, um, writes, you know, rights for ATP, brain game tennis, and um, talks, you know, really broke down the statistics and showed that even the best players in the world, um, you know, the the Novak Djokovic, the the Ash Barty, um, you know, the, the top top number one players on, on the men's and women's side over the most recent years, they're 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 not winning 70, 80% of points. They're winning closer to 55% of the points. Um, and what does that mean? That even the best in the world are losing right around half of, half of their points over the course of a season. So if if we lose a point and that immediately, you know, we immediately have an emotional response and that immediately impacts our self-identity and who we are and, oh, I suck. I can't do this. My backhand is horrible. You know, I can never beat this person. If that's our our initial response after losing a point, then, we're going to have a we're going to have a long day it's going to be it's going to be really tough out there considering that even the best in the world are losing you know right around 45 percent of their points um so it just it highlights how important that is to be able to view things in the right way and to be able to move on time and time again after a lost point or after a lost match as well um Another, another concept I would add in is um, being able to view things non-judgmentally. Um, you mentioned that, uh, you know, in a tennis match, I just need to get up to six games in one set before my opponent, and then I need to get up to six games in the next set before my opponent. Um, and I think it's also a good way to view losses as well. That, hey, I, I lost today because my opponent was a bit better than me. My opponent won a few more of those big points, over the course of the match that we know, you know, oftentimes these matches do just come down to a few points here and there. Um, and my opponent, they, they won a few more of those big points today. they got to six, you know, faster. Maybe it was those, maybe we we're playing no ad and they won a few more of those deuce points. And I think if you can view it, you know, if you can de- detach from the emotion um, that, that, you know that it's so common to, to place on on these things, and you know, and that attachment that people have to their results and to their performance, and you know, view it a little bit more um, non-judgmentally and just objectively. As hey, this is this is what happened today. Um, then, if you can view it in that way, it's easier to put it behind you. It's easier to um, make whatever adjustments need to be made, um, in, in terms of. Um, you know, making adjustments to to give yourself a better chance to um, you know so that it doesn't happen again, so that you can improve upon that that performance going forward. So that's that's another point that I would I, I think is is um, pivotal. I mean, whether it's during a match in terms of keeping your perspective and maintaining your composure, but also after a match um, in terms of moving on to the next one and not. Um, you know losing any losing any steam or not letting that that one match um, you know totally derail you from your progress
0: yeah yeah I think it's important also to understand how we explain losses to ourselves so this is there 's a theory called attribution theory uh, it's, you know how we how we attribute losses and uh, an exercise i 'll often do with players is something I call the not a, that's something I got from uh, Mart, Martin Seligman one of the founders of positive psychology, and it's called a narrative style exercise. And there are different types of narrative styles. There's uh, someone who may describe something that happened to them in an optimistic way. And then there's a pessimistic style of looking at it. And there are different uh, characteristics of those styles that I think, um, you know, listeners may find interesting. So typically when, uh, let's say you won your match, you may describe this, you know, the success part as feeling like, Yes, that's who I am. That's a kind of a permanent thing. That's what I do, um, and yeah, that's that's just me. I'm a winner in that in that regard, and um, yeah, that's my game. And then you may describe losses as being more temporary type of thing. So that was just you know uh, that was just a bad day. Um, that was the, and then maybe bring it to something that uh, you didn't do well, right? I just didn't prepare. The way I needed to for that tournament. I know I can do better than this, right? So, this idea of, you know, we want to lock in success as being part of who we are, and we want to look at losses as being more sort of temporary or transient things. Um, and that way, we're not, again, doing what I said earlier, we're not over identifying with the loss, right? So, someone who is a little bit more pessimistic in their style may feel like, oh, yeah, this is always happens to me. I always play bad. You know, in these kinds of tournaments, um, you know, I'm just a loser, everything that I do, that type of thing, right? So we don't want it to feel like it's permanent and pervasive in everything that we do from a negative perspective. Um, so I think it's important, like when we talk to people, and even if you're a coach, listen for the language that your player may be using. Are they saying things like when they, lo- when they lose that like, this is something that always happens, This is, you know, I'm just not a good player. Those types of things. Um, We want to, again, decouple that, but we also want to help them transition to, hey, they are a good player, and some of these things you're experiencing, these are just transient things that are happening on your journey going forward. Um, And then I think the last piece of this is when we're analyzing a match, and you can get somebody to the right narrative style there. Help them take a what I would call an extreme ownership perspective. Even in a win, I think you can do this. Is you know what are just a few things you could have done better? Like own it. There's no excuses, no blame game here. Um, what could you have done better? And don't accept "I don't know" as an answer. Again, you mentioned earlier, Josh, the solution focused, right? Want to help players, whether this is for yourself or you're working with some players, you want to help them be solution focused. So when you're asking them to take extreme ownership on what just happened out there, right? Take responsibility for what just happened out there. um, And you're asking them how they could, you know, what are some ideas that they have on improving, whether that's preparation, practice, metal prep, um, ground strokes, serves, whatever, um, have them take some ownership on you know, what are some little things that could be better and then don't accept I don't know as an answer. Maybe um, you could give them some time uh, but that's going to train them to be more solution focused because if you're always giving the solutions then how you know how will this player be able to handle the heat of the battle when he or she is out there on her own in a match. Because um, they're going to be able to need to think about solutions there. So uh, I think you know how we explain these things to ourselves, or how we explain losses to other people, is a is an important indicator of uh, how we're thinking and uh, and how we can shift to something that's you know we're we're not making losses feel like a permanent thing and that it's pervasive in our lives.
1: Yeah, no, I, I really like that. I think. Um, What what you're saying, it reminds me a lot of, or I think it connects to how we view, you know, sport as as a whole, how, you know, making sure that we're not identifying too much with that sport or with our results in that sport Um, brings me back to the episode that we did on injuries and coming back from injuries, but also um, understanding that, you know, there may be a period of time where you're away from the sport for a while. There also may be a time where, for you know, based on your choice or based on an injury or something out of your control, that you have to retire from your sport, that you won't be able to play it anymore. Um, tennis, you know, as we know, is, is more of a lifetime sport where you know, I see people at, at the, the club that are in their, their 70s, 80s. Um, there's, you know, people I, I hit with in their 80s on a regular basis, um, I, you know, or, or, you know, beyond as well. Um, but you know, they're, they're also for some people there, there comes a time where they, they can't play anymore and I, um, or maybe that's, you know, a shorter period of time, like a short injury or a longer period of time, you know, a couple of years or, you know, many months or whatever it may be, or, you know, a period of time where they can't play. And if you have, if you have your, your self image and your self concept, based and wrapped up, I am a tennis player. This is who I am. This is, you know, what defines me, um, rather than, as you said, Brian, this is, you know, this is a project that I, that I'm doing. I'm trying to be as good as I can be, but this is not who I am. If you get to that point, um, whether it's an injury or retirement, it becomes a lot tougher to process that if you don't have other aspects of your identity, to fall back on or to rely on during, during that moment. So um, I think it's important, you know, when, when working with a player to, to understand them, you know, them as a person um, and, and understand, you know, everything other than, you know, other than just the the tennis side, other than just what they do on the court, what else is important to them? What else do they value? What else do they enjoy? Um, So that if that, you know, were to happen in terms of an injury retirement, they, they, it's not. It's not everything that's ending. It's just one piece of, um, of their life. It's just one piece of you know what they have going on, and you know it's 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 a loss like what we're talking about. and you know at the, at the most macro level, but it's not losing everything because you have other pieces of your identity that are established and that you can you know still go get get back to and still, um. You know, it's easier to put things into perspective if tennis is one of the things that you do and your entire identity is not not fully based on that.
0: Yeah, not fully wrapped up in being a player because even if you, say, are unable to play, that doesn't mean you couldn't do some other things around the sport of tennis. Yep. Whether that's volunteering or getting um, on a board or, or, you know, getting into the business of tennis. You know, there's so many things that can be done in the sport that, um, you know, people can continue with. Yeah. So yeah, it's sort of the transition to retirement, whether that's a pro player who can no longer compete at a high level or, or someone, as you said, maybe, uh, physically, they're just not able to do it anymore. Or after,
1: but, after high school and college as well, yeah. a lot of people, even if they continue maybe to play at a more recreational level or they continue maybe to compete in, you know, leagues um, that, you know, after high school or college, maybe that's the most consistent competition that they have or the most intense competition that they go through. So, you know, um, after that experience, there could also be some sort of a loss or some sort of, um, you know, feeling that something has been taken away from them. I and mean, I think back to that, you know, the last year with COVID and everything, how the the season ended so abruptly um, for college students, high school students, you know, um, athletes everywhere really. Um, and you know, some shape or form, uh, you know, maybe it was their high school or college season that was taken away. Maybe it was a, for, maybe it was a, a major tournament for some players that was, um, you know, or, or tournaments over, you know, months that were taken away and they weren't able to play in. And then th- that's a loss right there that has to be handled and has to be viewed in the right way as, you know, part of that process, um, something inevitable, but also, um, you know, a teachable moment and an, a you know learning opportunity. Trying to view it as an opportunity to improve in some way, to grow in some way, rather than um, you know that threat of uh, something's being taken away from me. This is so unfair. But trying to, you know, I think it's I think it's helpful to acknowledge those feelings of you know maybe this doesn't seem fair or this, um, you know, this, I can't believe this happened, that disappointment or that frustration, but being able to move on and being able to get into that solution focused mindset where you're focused on, okay, what now, what can we do at this point? You know, what, is there an opportunity here? Um, okay. Maybe you have some more time at home. Okay. What, what can we do with that time rather than, oh, I hate being at home. I wish I was on the court. I wish I was playing in the conference finals right now or in the conference tournament or in, in this other tournament going on. Um, but trying to shift into that, that solution based mindset. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the, there's a different models for stages that athletes go through, like when they're injured. But, um, one of the ones I like is I uh, call like the effective, uh, stages, uh, of injury, but in this way you're describing even with COVID, the last stage is like the important part, I think. And it's like this stage called determined coping, right? Determined to deal with what is in front of you at that moment. And I think it fits in well with what we're talking about with respect to being solution-oriented, um, being able to take the perspective of tennis is simply a life project that I'm dedicating <laughs> myself to, that I'm trying to get the best that I can at. Um yeah, I think when we are able to adopt these, these better perspectives, have a better philosophical basis for how we look at our tennis, uh, it can make handling all these different little adversities or even big adversities much easier. Um, I think a lot of us, whether it's as athletes or as students or business people, we all had to make adjustments during that time. And, um, if we were simply looking at it from a, almost like a deficit piece where this is what I've lost, uh, you get stuck there. Uh, but if you can look at it, this is, it is what it is. What do I need to do now in order to continue to move on whatever life project you're working on? You know, I know for like us, I, I think we've talked about this. This podcast wouldn't probably exist if it weren't for COVID. You know, you and I probably would not know each other if not for COVID, right? So um, that was, I think, you know, on our part, some good adjusting and working on our businesses and our, uh, you know, careers as sports psych professionals in a very uh, sort of life project way that, hey, these are some things we think would be interesting. Let's collaborate. Let's do this, you know. um, I think... In, in doing this kind of thing, I think what's nice about you, Josh, is, you know, and I think we've both done this. We've put our egos aside and we've collaborated on this. You know, some people could say, I don't want to work with that guy. You know, he's same sport as me, same business. Uh, he's my competitor. Not at all. I mean, I want you to be as successful as possible. I mean, that just helps the profession if we have more great practitioners out there. Um, and so I think the more that people can take those types of perspectives, um, helping each other, looking at these things as projects, um, and not being so ego oriented about this and certainly not, uh, looking at things as again, permanent, um, and, and more, you know, focusing on what's going wrong in the past or what has gone wrong, like, what can we do now? And I think that's true with, you know, with just even tennis matches like we've been talking about, because certain... Let's face it. Certain losses probably are harder to deal with than others. You know, we were talking earlier, um, you know, those, uh, third set, maybe seven, six, seven, five, six, four losses can be really hard. Um, a loss where maybe you're playing great and now your conditioning has perhaps betrayed you a little bit. Um, you know, we were talking about a match earlier we were watching last night that that happened. I, you know, that happened to me recently. Um, those are harder to live with, and you you know you've got to you've got to take an extreme ownership piece to that. Or you know you could just like uh, be kind of woe is me, and, and and not do anything about it, and just go out there and, and repeat, keep doing what you're doing. Um, and as uh, the quote you know says, that's a bit of insanity to keep doing the same things and expect different results. Um, and so the more that we can be. Uh, learning from these things, even the hard losses. I think, I think you were mentioning Josh. Even you know, what, what's another tough loss that people have? It's like when we lose, perhaps to someone we think we should beat, or maybe we definitely should beat. And those are tough because those are those can be hits to your identity. Like if you see yourself as a good player, yet now you've lost a match to somebody who's allegedly not as good, uh, that can definitely definitely hurt you. Um, or maybe you – and maybe in that performance, you just really not only lost but you performed, you underperformed. Maybe you were passive in that type of thing. Um, and those are sometimes the losses where people will shy away from looking at. But in reality, there it's probably a goldmine because what that match taught you was a whole bunch of things you should never, ever do again. You know, and that's – That's why sometimes these horrible losses are the the, the losses you should be grateful for Um, because there's there's a potential for so much benefit coming out of that. Uh, There's so much silver lining that could come out of that if you choose to look at it from the perspective, okay, uh, here are the things I will never do again and really commit to that. I've had uh, a a match – like that and it, it changed my I played great for the next two years because of that. Um, so I would say recommend to people like, you know, even in those matches where they played terribly, where they lost to someone they feel like they shouldn't have lost to, like just a bad, bad loss, look at it. Treat it as something, all right, I'm gonna I vow never to to, to do this or that ever again in a match because I know it doesn't work. This loss really, really demonstrated that it doesn't work. And sometimes, without those bad losses, Josh, you're not—you don't have the wake-up call that you need. And I, I like to think sometimes those bad losses are wake-up calls.
1: No, I, absolutely, absolutely. I—I uh, I mean, I, I think we've all been there. I think we've all—any tennis player that's played enough matches has has had those bad losses. Whether it's a player that you know you you feel like you are much, much stronger than as a player. Um, and it, it, can be a, it can be a huge hit to the ego. Um, but as you said, those are often the best opportunities to, to really learn from those experiences, to, to learn, you know, those are the best teachable moments. Um, maybe you lost because you didn't, you know, maybe somebody lost because they didn't take their opponent as seriously. They overlooked their opponent and they let their own level drop. Maybe they lost because, as you said, it was you know some sort of fitness issue. Um, maybe they lost because uh, something to do with the mental game—you lost focus, um, you know, and you let, let a few games slip away that were pivotal. Or you couldn't, you didn't handle the pressure in the way that you wanted to, um, or you got frustrated and you let your frustrations out, and either your level dropped or you were penalized in some way. Um, but in any of these situations, there's a lot to be learned. There's a lot. Of adjustments that you can make and um things that you can change so as you said that this never happens again um i think another another piece to 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 losing is um is you know going going through a slump and uh you know or maybe consecutive losses we talked about these consecutive points and how that they can happen um in a match but also consecutive losses maybe you know you're playing tournaments and you've lost in the first round a few times in a row, or maybe it's um, in a team format and you, you know, you or your team has lost multiple times in a row and it's okay. It's a, to me, it's that same process. It's okay. Not identifying too much with, with the performance, but really being able to objectively look at it and think, okay, what do I need to do so that this doesn't continue happening over and over again? Are there, Things to do with my fitness. Are there things, you know, are there adjustments I need to make with my mental game? Maybe I am not handling the pressure well because I don't have a plan for what I'm going to do in these higher pressure situations, right? Maybe I lose my focus because I, that's never something I've really trained or or paid any much attention to. Um, so I, I think if you can if you can I um, view these things objectively. It's a lot easier to to actually identify what what needs your focus, what what you need to put your attention towards, and then that adjustment can be made. But in, in, until then, and I mean, one one of my pet peeves, I think I've mentioned this, coaching players at, at different levels, is when they get off the court, and you know, maybe this is sort of an immediate response, is just, "Hey, I don't want to talk about it right now." Um, but you know, what what happened out there, or you no, know, not not even what happened out there, but you know, how was the match? It's like, Oh, I lost. And it's like, okay, lost, but but how was the match? Um, and trying to, you know, dig, dig deeper past that. And I mean, if you aren't able to look at it and you just want to push it aside, then nothing will ever change. And that, you know, as, as you said, you know, um, you know, it's the, the, the definition of insanity, right? You, you don't change anything and you expect different results. Um, in order to make changes in order so that never happens again, you need to sometimes take that hard look in the mirror and really understand, okay, I lost to this player whose u t r is significantly lower or is ranked a lot lower or who I feel like is you know not of the same caliber for for this main reason or for these few main reasons, and okay, I am going to you know plan to make those adjustments and and plan to be accountable as well. I'm not just deciding to do that. Um, I'm I'm really going to take action here. I'm going to have that extreme ownership approach, as you've mentioned, Brian, um, over my tennis training, over my journey as a player, over this project, and I'm going to you know take really take ownership over those aspects of my game that caused that result today that I want to improve upon.
0: I think I, I want to go back to the the slump piece, Josh. I think that's very interesting because uh, they've done – there's been a lot of research in sports psychology about what they call the hot hand phenomenon, right? So typically like in basketball, you'll see somebody who's made a lot of shots in a row and you think he's hot or whatever. And a lot of that's been somewhat uh, discounted in terms of um, whether that's really true or more of a perception. But there are – some psychological factors that go with somebody who has a winning streak and someone who has a losing streak. Um, and so when you go on a a losing streak, that self belief and self efficacy, we have to make sure that that is not affected, right? That that doesn't drop. Um, and I wanted to share a quote and it's from a basketball player and I think you can apply this to to losses in tennis. Um, But this is the kind of self-belief one needs to have, the kind of optimism. So it's from Isaiah Thomas. He was a point guard for uh, the Detroit Pistons in the 80s and the 90s. Um, And he said, I've always believed no matter how many shots I miss, I'm going to make the next one. And that's elite-level self-belief, elite-level confidence, um, this ability that I will make that shot. So – even if you're on a losing streak, you've got to step onto the court believing you can win, believing you're going to win this match. If you go out there with anything less than that, the losing streak likely continues. Um, and that's hard in tennis. I'm not saying that like that. that's easy, but um, it's the same thing like when you're in a match. No matter what the score is, you've got to believe you can win. If you don't, you won't. So uh, that's that's the only thing I, I'd, I think I'd like to say about the whole the slump piece because that that does happen. People will get into slumps and, and then that can get in their heads and they're walking out onto the court, assuming they're going to play poorly, assuming they're going to lose, um, and then it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that's I think you bring up a, a great point that that in order to win or in order to have a chance to win. You have to have that self belief that you can win, and I think there's a distinction here that it, that doesn't mean that you're saying that you're going to win, right? But you're saying that you're capable Correct. of winning. Yeah. I can win today. Um, there's um, there, there's a great um, to, to me that that you know reminds me a lot of um, you know some of my own personal experiences. Um, you know, going into matches, maybe against somebody who's ranked higher than me. And, you know, thinking, oh, this, this person's so good. There's no way I can beat that person. And I didn't. Um, was that the only reason? No, but that certainly, that mindset certainly doesn't help. So um, understanding that a lot can happen in a tennis match, lower ranked players beat higher ranked players all the time. Um, you know, and, and understanding also, I, I think, you know, Brad Gilbert in winning ugly, he he summarized it in a, in a great way where he says if there's two players of a, you know, somewhat similar caliber, I think I, I may, I may mix up these these numbers a little bit, but he says um, each player, maybe 5% of the time, maybe it's 10%. Let's say 5% of the time that player is going to be just unbeatable, right? Maybe they're just on fire. They're in the zone, they're in the flow. And maybe, you know, maybe there's not too much that their opponent can do. So each player maybe is in that that sort of zone, maybe five percent of the time, and that leaves the remaining ninety percent of the time that something could happen, right? That um, an upset could happen, um, you know, a, a close match could happen. You know, there's also the element of luck that, as we know, can can certainly play a part in in some of these matches. Maybe it's one, a couple points here and there, or you hit the net cord or whatever, um, whatever it may be. Um, but, but understanding that, you know, regardless of who you're playing, even if this somebody is, you know, you view them to be a, a, stronger player that you are capable of winning right on, on the right day in the right conditions, um, you get, you are capable of winning this match. You, and, and as we've talked about, there's, we can't, we can't actually control winning, but what we can do is we can give ourselves the best possible chance to be in a winning position. We can, you know, control the controllables and try to control everything within our influence to give us that best possible chance, regardless of who we're playing, but also understanding that in, in order to win in the first place, we need to believe that it's possible. We need Because if not, it, it really can become that self-fulfilling prophecy that, you know, if you go into a match, for instance, against somebody who you view to be stronger than you and you say, oh, well, I, I really hope I don't get crushed here. You know, that would be really embarrassing. Um, I, I really, you know, hope it's a competitive match. I'd be you know, really happy if I, if I win, you know, six games over, you know, over the match. And then all of a sudden you're at four all in the first set or five all in the first set. That can very quickly turn into a 6-4 or 7-5. And I, I, I've seen that countless times, um, whereas a player becomes almost satisfied with that sort of result because that's what they think they're capable of. So being able to change that self-concept and that, that opinion of yourself in terms of what you're capable of doing and achieving um, can, can really make a huge difference in your capability when you get into that moment where instead of it being for all and you're satisfied to even get to this point, you say, okay, great, I'm not getting crushed and, you know, i am saved myself from the embarrassment. Instead of that sort of a mindset, it's okay, it's for all. Like, this is, you know, this is what I've been working towards. This is a great opportunity here. I'm supposed to be here. I'm not here by accident. And let's go. Yeah, I mean,
0: that last piece is playing to win regardless, yep. right? And before that, you, as you said, Josh, the satisfaction leads to a drop in your compete level, right? So I think of compete level as the maintaining a high level on all these controllable behaviors, your attitude, your effort. How you focus, your routines, breathing, your body language, um, those those things are what help keep you competitive in a match and keeping those at a high level. And if you begin to get satisfied, some of those the level drops in some of those areas. You know, especially the probably the more mental ones, because now your your objective is no longer to win. Your objective is to satisfy somebody's opinion, yours or maybe somebody else's, that. This is a respectable score. So naturally, you're going to lose that 6-4 that or 7-5, as you said. Um, I think that that is a, something that every aspiring tennis player goes through. The, the, the trick is learning from that, that that's the wrong approach, so that when they get in that situation, they believe they can win. As you mentioned... Lower-ranked players beat higher-ranked players all the time, but not if they don't believe. If they don't believe they can win, they will not win. Um, You see this in the NCAA basketball tournament when 15 seeds beat two seeds. The 15 seed didn't come in assuming they were going to lose. They came in with a game plan, focus, effort, attitude. Um, And now that more of those upsets have happened, it only increases that for more 15. And I think even we've now had at least one sixteen beat a one seed. Um, so that's the key is you got to believe and you got to always be playing to win. Don't play for respectability, play to win. Um, you'll get more respect out of that than you will by kind of, you know, giving it away in the end.
1: Yeah, it's it's the right. It's, it's definitely the right mindset. I think it's, it's almost a, uh, Bit of a tightrope, or it's a bit of a you know, a it it can be tough, tough to manage that. Um, you know, always playing to win, but also being able to detach from that result after the fact and not placing too much emphasis or not identifying too much with it. Um, so that you can, you know, view it in the right way and, um continue, you know, forward after, after that result. But I think that's, that's absolutely right. That that's, you know, you don't want to be playing not to lose or, you know, playing to avoid failure and having that sort of a mindset you want, you instead want to be, you know, making sure you're always playing to win. And we've talked about that as um, at the more micro level as well, during a match that if, you know, if the match is on the line and you feel like you are sort of avoiding failure, playing not to lose, you know, not trying to miss, waiting for the other person to, to go for it and hopefully they'll miss, um, then you're going to probably look back at that match with a lot more re- uh, regret than, hey, then I went for it. I played to win. I went for my shots, whether or not um, it ended up working out in your favor. You, right. you have less to um, regret. You have, you know, you're playing in the way that you want to, regardless of the outcome. So really interesting topic today, Josh. I think you're discussing
0: losing and losses, uh, valuable, right? I think a lot of good perspectives came out of this conversation. So I thought that was a a good topic for today. So uh, thank you, Josh, and uh, uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. For more on today's episode, please check out the show notes. If you have any feedback or questions for me or Josh, please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use the Twitter hashtag TennisIQ. Additionally, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, including YouTube, so you can be notified of new episodes. You can also check out our Instagram page. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.